0: Begin after eight cats. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He was slaying puns at a bnB when he had an epiphany. And they could part in about time. let spencer do a trick because you're incapable hi spencer regarding the d20 mate there's a guy on youtube called ivan mike and he did a an episode or in fact i think it was a couple of episodes talking about the d20 and explaining why he didn't think it was swingy because it's basically binary in most cases so you've got a number you've got to either roll it or not roll it Um, so it's pass or fail yet we kind of attribute extra meaning to the values on the dice so apparently we're we're doing some wrong thinking so if you if you imagine it was sort of black faces and white faces and you just add more of one or the other um that's kind of actually what you're doing Uh, so really if you think about it like that not swingy Uh, i still struggle with it to get my head around that
1: hey colin yeah i like a bit of ivan mike on youtube um well, I'm not sure I've seen him talk about D20, so I'll have to go and uh, have a look through his videos there. But uh, yeah, thanks for the tip. Um, yeah, kind of get the binary argument. Um, obviously, it's not fifty-fifty, but um, yeah, probably I'll have to give that a little more thought. But I'll go and uh, I'll, I'll go and listen to that. Sounds like it might be interesting. Anyway, thanks for the tip. Yeah, so the swinginess of the D20. Uh, Perhaps swingy was not the right word to use. I think, uh, as um, Ivan Mike points out on his YouTube video, um, an objective look at the D20, uh, which is a great little video, by the way. My issue was really about target numbers rather than narrativising of the number results. And what's interesting is that Castles and Crusades actually addresses that issue uh, with its use of primary stats, Uh, any role requiring a primary stat has a reduced target number of 12, uh, which is quite a neat way of dealing with things. So, yeah, what is my problem, if it is indeed a problem? I think it's probably more just a a fact of me having a first-level character and uh, the issues that come with that. Um, I think I do prefer something with more of a bell curve because I I like the idea of competency, and yet I don't want things to get too heroic. So... um, Yeah, I think a bell curve would address that. Making moderate things easier, tougher things much tougher. So uh, so that's my kind of thinking there. Episode
0: 12
1: I think we're alone now. Uh, So this episode is essentially a response to John Large, Red Dice Diaries, his question about playing RPGs solo and uh, if I could kind of uh, elucidate a bit. I know Froth has got an episode coming up soon all about solo play and I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, No doubt, John, you'll be uh, tuning into that one. But I also wanted to point out Che Webster's latest episode of the GM Journal on Roleplay Rescue. That's the bonus episode from the 13th of July.
2: He
1: talks about game structure about six or seven minutes into the podcast uh, when he gets onto the subject of solo play and the mythic GM emulator and what a great resource that is so um, that's well worth checking out too personally I like something a little more stripped down so originally this episode um, had a whole heap of GM emulators and solo games I spoke about well I didn't speak about them at length I basically had a lengthy list and um it just it was just boring just reading out a whole load of titles saying a little bit about them it just went on forever and um and this is stuff that anybody could find on drive through rpg anyway you know so um in the interests of not boring the pants off of everyone i decided to leave that out i also wanted to mention a couple of Uh, YouTube channels YouTube is a great resource for anyone interested in finding out a bit more about solo play Um, but um, there's a channel by someone called Gamer Geek and a new one sprung up a couple of weeks ago called the Solo Gamer Guy I haven't really checked his stuff out but um, looks like he covers some interesting topics So, solo gaming. For anyone considering playing solo, what I would probably recommend is picking up a few things by a guy called Kenny Norris, whose blog can be found at soloroleplayer.com. And where he's created a few documents that will be very useful. One is a frustration to freedom. Uh, 30 Days to Legendary Solo Role-Playing Adventures, which basically sort of is just to get your creative juices flowing. But you're probably best off starting, actually, on his blog. He recommends these. Uh, Mythic GM Emulator and the Variants, which is what I mentioned before. Uh, the Covetous Poets Adventure Creator and Solo GM Guidebook. Uh, which is one I'm not familiar with. Uh, Conjectural Role Playing GM Emulator, CRGE. Uh, Fate Solo. Solo Engine at Tiny Solitary Soldiers. Now that's one that I've kind of gravitated towards because it does strike me as particularly simple. And um, Epic D6. Uh, Then he suggests Drivers. Uh, These are optional rule add-ons that help create adventures again he lists the covetous poets adventure creator and solo GM guidebook and also something called perilous intersections and then he lists off some generic resources and tools um, the uh, location crafter um, something called bold the book of legend and deeds He suggests uh, NPC creation, tools for creating NPCs, the Insta NPC series, UNE, Universal NPC Emulator, and Short Order Heroes. Uh, Then he goes into Random Generators. He talks about Rory Story Cubes and Story Forge, uh, which I believe are cards. Uh, fantasy resource tools, he uh, mentions Scarlet Heroes there, because uh, that is kind of full of tables and stuff that would be very useful. And uh, he also mentions non-role-playing software, Scrivener, Scapple, and Phase Expander, um, all of which I'm not particularly familiar with. I assume they're writing tools for fiction But that's kind of what you sort of need to cobble together. And uh, kind of that's about it, really. Um, Using some of these emulators, I don't see a real reason why you can't play any game. Although I would say that some games obviously lend themselves to solo play more than others. I mean, I'm drawn to something like Into the Odd because it's a simple rule set. It's essentially focused on procedural play, random tables, creating a lot of stuff on the fly, which strikes me as uh, something that would certainly lend itself more to solo play. I'll just go through what I did there. Yeah, so as i said before, I felt that Into the Odd would lend itself to this uh, quite well because it's kind of procedurally generated setting. There's no maps involved. The setting itself is quite amorphous. You've given bullet points that suggest the kind of world that you're in. So, using the Tiny Soldiers D6 solo engine, which is... This gives you a kind of a good idea of what they all are attempting to do. Create your hero. Declare the setting. Set the scene. So short description of where the hero is. What's happening. Uh, You should also come up with a scene goal for the hero. This will determine when the scene is over. Whether or not that goal has been achieved. Ask questions. A question can be either an inquiry or an additional result of an action. Questions must be closed, i.e. yes, no answers. Uh, For each question, roll a d6. Read the result. If your hero has a significant disadvantage or advantage, roll an additional d6 and choose the result accordingly. Uh, 1. No and. 2. No. 3. No but. Yes. 4. Yes but. 5. Yes. 6. Yes and. And meaning something more than you expect, but means a limited effect or drawback. In addition, roll a different coloured D6. This is the twist die. If it comes up as a 1, there's a twist to the scene. The twist consists of two parts, the meaning of which is open to interpretation. This is intentionally vague, but should be sufficient to stimulate your imagination. To determine the twist, roll two different colored D6s, declaring which one applies to the first column, which one applies to the second, then consult the following charts. So then we've got one to six results, uh, NPC, PC, organization, physical event, emotional event, item. The second chart is appears, alters the location, helps the hero, hinders the hero, changes the goal. Or ends the scene. Once the scene ends roll d6 to determine the nature of the next scene. 1 to 3 dramatic scene, 3 to 5 quiet scene, 6 meanwhile. A dramatic scene means the action doesn't let up. A quiet scene means there's no immediate danger probably a good chance to gather intel discover more about characters or the situation. A meanwhile scene as a remote location does not involve the protagonist this should be immediately randomised as a twist and kept quite short and then suggests using more randomisers and generators uh, from resources of your choice so that's kind of the framework of what you're doing Uh, with that in mind I started off by creating a character Lester Finch a disinherited socialite family did not approve of his desire to become a writer still unpublished whatever money he had has now gone leaving bastion for the deep country under the pretense of seeking inspiration in fact he's fleeing squalid housing mounting rent arrears and a truculent landlord so i rolled up uh, strength 13 dex 13 charisma 5 now I realised into the odd is a three stat system and in the original rules, the third stat is actually will as in willpower. But as the uh, rules developed on the Bastionland website, Chris McDowell changed that third stat to charisma because he felt it was a better description of what that stat was being used for. Anyway, um, Hit points, which are D six. Uh, well, I've got five there, and he starts off with bolt cutters, a blunderbuss that does D eight damage, and a fiddle. I also uh, rolled up a companion in the into the odd rules. You're basically you you given a companion to start off with anyway. So uh, you roll up their stats, but they only get one hit point. So, uh, they may not last very long at all, as you'll find out. As things are with Into the Odd, nobody lasts very long. (laughs) So, I rolled up the companion, Lloyd Budgin, I've always known as Budgie, who is a fist fighter. He's got strength 13, dex 12, charisma 8, one hit point, as I explained, Uh, a sword, it's quite moralistic, but not particularly good, (laughs) Um, I suppose in the way gangsters always go on about ethics, and I also rolled up a lackey, Bob Spalk, strength 7, dex 6, charisma 8, hit points 1, a club. Which does D6 damage but and is a bulky item. A former coal miner, boringly dependable, lost family when his house collapsed. Um <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Um so Lester escaping debtors is leaving Bastion under the cover of darkness after persuading Budgie to join him with a promise of helping him find some major arcana that Budgie has learned is hidden beneath an old ruined abbey just outside the small village of Whitebridge in Darkmarsh. Now, essentially I was using the small hex crawl and the adventure locations that are in the Into the Odd rulebook. For some reason I decided to Play around with the names there. Uh, So you won't recognise those from the rule book. But um, mention of what Arcana is. They're basically ciphers. Little bits of weird technology or magic items. That um, do uh, a wide variety of bizarre and strange things. May only have limited uses. But... They're basically the uh, prized objects of Into the Odd and the reason why anyone bothers to adventure in such a treacherous <laughs> world. <laughs> so they're heading into deep country, leaving the city via the canals which are below the city um, with uh, Bob Spalk who has borrowed, I'm doing air quotes, an old coal barge. So I roll on the crossing bastion table to determine encounters when trying to leave the city. I kicked off the adventure. Um, Lester sneaks out the back door of his apartment building into the street. Street lamps are lit but thick grey smog helps him move unnoticed and silently down the street towards an entrance into the underground. This shortcut leads through the Solid Nation Territory, coming across an Enforcer. Now, these elements are created using random tables from Into the Odd and the Bastion Land uh, blog page. So, uh, this shortcut leads through Solid Nation Territory, coming across an Enforcer in his customary silver face paint. It's Tuman Snell usually a fair and down-to-earth man. They once shared a squat together. He spent the previous night in custody and has been on a drinking binge since his release. He's not well. Ranting about forming an uprising, Lester leaves him to his own devices. Uh, Continuing through the underground passageway, meeting Budgie at the arranged location. Uh, While talking to Budgie, a crawling carapace... Drops from an unseen ledge above. This rusty coloured creature, driven by the love of cruelty, lands directly on Budgie's back, biting into his neck, its mandibles causing critical damage. Bite 9d6 carries a joint-stiffening poison. Anyone taking critical damage loses d6 dex. Budgie falls to the ground, bleeding out profusely and loses consciousness. Lester shoots at the thing with his blunderbuss, causing three damage. Before putting some distance between him and the creature, attempting an attack on Lester, the creature fumbles, falling over onto its back, momentarily incapacitated, legs kicking as it tries to right itself. Lester manoeuvres back towards the writhing creature, grabs Lloyd's sword and plunges it deep into the carapace's exposed underbelly, killing it. Lloyd is dead. So, uh, yeah, quite a dramatic turn of events there. Um, you know. But such is the nature of Into the Odd. Based on uh, an encounter roll, I rolled up a new character, Pip Pickwick, going all out Dickens there. Uh, strength 9, Dex 8, um, Charisma 9, Hit Points 5. He has a Blunderbuss, A Hatchet, Mutt Dreams, show undiscovered surroundings. So essentially, he's got a, um, as it is with Into the Odd, sometimes these things don't really, they're very open and uh, can be interpreted in many ways. So I figured Mutt Dreams was that he had a dog that was wandering around, but when he slept, he would see through the dog's eyes. Um, Barge pilot, Um, good but annoying, an unassuming chap, unrequited, abducted by underground weirdos, found some lesser arcana, the tyrant's rod, which is essentially like a wand where you can order the target to drop, fall, flee or halt. They must pass a charisma save to resist. So uh, continuing down the passage, uh, Lester is somewhat traumatised and on high alert. As the passageway appears to come to an end, voices can be heard in the chamber ahead. Looking out of the passageway opens into a large, round, domed chamber with at least five other passageways leading off from it. It is poorly lit, but... There's enough light for Lester to see three figures in the room. Two of them are masked raiders, majestic reds, with pistols and swords in their distinctive bug masks that appear to be fashioned from parts of the deadly creature Lester just encountered. They are approaching a young man who appears to be waving some sort of unthreatening looking stick at them. "'Drop your weapons!' he shouts at them. To Lester's surprise, the first red drops his sword and immediately stops in his tracks, looking down at his open hand. The second red walks past him, and straight up to the young man, grabbing at the curious stick with his left hand, attempting to strike him with the hilt of his sword, but slips on the stone floor, managing to stay upright, but loses grip on his sword which clatters loudly to the chamber floor. Pip stands his ground, pulling out a hatchet, swiftly delivering a forceful blow to the unarmed man's shoulder, incapacitating him. Lester already has his gun aimed at the other red, who is trying to unsheathe his pistol. Lester fires, blowing the man's mask off. The unmasked man, a little shaken, turns towards his new attacker, raising his pistol and fires back. The bullet whistles past Lester's ear. Pip steps over the injured man in front of him and walks towards the pistol-wielding raider, again pointing his wand at him and yelling, Stop! This appears to have little effect as the man ducks back into the passageway for cover, no longer in Lester's line of sight. Lester walks into the room, nodding at Pip as he tries to get the raider back in his sights. Taking a shot into the darkness of the passageway, he hears the raider running off, now lost in the shadows. We need to get out of here. There will surely be more on the way, says Pip. I have an idea, says Lester, removing the mask from the man groaning on the floor. Grab the other one, pointing at the mask, the other raider left behind. Might just save us from getting into more trouble. Grabbing the stray pistol... Lester explains he needs to get to a canal heading east out of the city as they put on masks. Pip says, I can get you there, no problem. Follow me. They head down the passageway, directly opposite. After travelling quickly and quietly down several passageways, they emerge at the top of some stone steps leading down to the bank of an underground canal, There are several barges moored here, and Lester can just make out Bob in the dim sodium light. Once on the barge, Lester examines the markings on the wand. Bob is a man of few words. He explains that now the boat has gained momentum, he is shutting off the engine as they drift slowly off the main canal, heading down a particularly low-roofed narrow, unlit tunnel, only accessible when the waters are exceptionally low as they are now. He indicates to his two passengers that they will have to lay on the roof of the barge, their feet on the ceiling, and walk this thing out of here if there's any hope of us getting out in one piece. This route is not for the faint-hearted, as many have perished down here, swallowed by the sudden rising of the waters. However, Spork knows these waters like the back of his hand and has assured Lester that this is the best way to leave the city unnoticed. It seems an age before they emerge from the other side of the tunnel, the two passengers' legs now aching. It is early hours of the morning and still dark as they leave the city behind. Bob, believing they are in safe waters, restarts the engine as Lester and Pip try to get comfortable enough to get a few hours sleep so yeah I've kind of written that up as uh, well I'm kind of surprised how well and detailed I wrote that up because it's been some time since I looked at it Um, but uh, you get the idea and I don't know reading that back it was as much a a writing exercise as anything else but um, I hope that gives you a kind of at least a suggestion of what you can do obviously there's no need to journal events quite in that manner but um i found it entertaining to do it in that way well the intention of that was to show you how the uh solo mechanics would work in the context of the game but i realise i got caught up in the story and i didn't really explain any of that at all but um just enjoy myself too much, and I'm going to leave it as it is. I hope you can make some sense of it and if not, I hope at least that you enjoyed it oh well, I wanted to point out that there is a great interview on uh on questing beast's channel uh Ben milton interviews uh Chris McDowell about his upcoming Kickstarter of Electric Bastion Land, which is something I've been looking forward to for so long. And, um, yeah, I'll be on that as soon as it pops up. So, yeah, well worth checking out. Lots of interesting stuff there. I've been a fan of Into the Odd since I first looked at it, and uh, looks like this thing is going to tick all my boxes. During that interview... Ben Milton makes a statement. All OSR games are essentially resource management. It strikes me as an interesting identifier, not something I'd thought about myself. I wonder what you think of that. There have been a few other podcasts talking about coming to the end of the season and uh, people... Kind of thinking about format and releases and stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm probably going to keep things pretty much as they are. Uh, But I may start a new season. Tighten up the intros and outros. Um, I'll probably keep the similar format of kind of front-loading the podcast with call-ins. Just because that works uh, with regard to me. Constructing the episodes, um, you know, recording bits and bobs as and when I can. So, uh, I was thinking about rounding off the season with just like a little best of episode. So, keep an eye out for that. Big thanks to TJ Drennan from Malodorous Miasma for the wonderful free throw theme at the beginning of the podcast that's about enough from me thank you very much for listening I really appreciate those messages if you do want to get in touch if you've got a question or any feedback click the link in the description or you can always send me an email spencer.freeforall at gmail.com let the dice fall where they may Mm-hmm.